What a blessing that it is. Galatians chapter 2 tonight. There are two stages to preparing a sermon. One is the study of the text. Making sure that you understand the text, properly interpreting the text, know how to apply the text, all that comes along with what we would call hermeneutics. Once you have the text and all of that down, either in your mind or on paper, then you have to craft the sermon. How are you going to present it? I'm not going to present it to you as I studied it. That would just be a dry discourse. So you have to, for lack of a better word, craft the sermon. Uh, whether you use an outline or don't use an outline or how are you going to try, how are you going to state what you have studied. I am confident tonight that I understand the text. I am pretty sure of that. I am not confident tonight in how I stated. I have wanted to preach from this verse uh, for probably a month now, and I've held off just because the language needs to be precise is what it needs to be. So I'm going to ask you to give me a little bit of grace tonight. I may struggle just a little bit with it. I, I'm going to try to be slow and deliberate uh, so that what's in my head will come out of my mouth right Galatians 2 and verse 20 is one of the many verses in the Bible that stands out as a great statement of truth in just one sentence. There are verses like John 3.16 that is the gospel in a nutshell and it packs so much truth in just one verse or one word. And it's not that there is any verse that is more inspired than any other, but it's just so big that it begs our attention. Somebody even in here may claim this as their favorite verse or their life verse. Probably most of us, if not all of us, have it memorized. In fact, I don't remember a time that I ever consciously memorized Galatians 2.20. But over the course of the Christian life, it is used and quoted and put to music so much that it just becomes part of the warp and woof of our life. And it's just in us like John 3.16 is. So Galatians 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You could call this Paul's personal biography. This is very personal to him. You may have noticed as we went through it how many times he uses a personal pronoun, I, I, me, me, I think Eight times, I'd have to go back and count it again. And I can imagine that this is what Paul would say in a testimony service. If we were to ask for testimonies, and if the Apostle Paul was in the building, this would be his testimony. And what Paul is going to do, he's going to lay out some of the richest truth in the Christian life. And he does so in a series of paradoxes. A paradox is a statement that seems to be contradictory, but it is actually True, it's not an oxymoron, it is a paradox. And as we go through it, as we go through it, you'll see these paradoxes. There are three that are found in this verse. And, and I want us to just ponder each statement. And we'll do it kind of slowly tonight, so hopefully that we'll not miss it. It's probably the greatest verse on the Christian life. But I think that so many don't truly understand 
the statement. I don't believe that there's one magical key to the Christian life, that there's one key, if you get a hold of this key, that it unlocks everything for you. We don't need just one part of the Bible, we need all of the Bible. But Galatians 2.20 is a critical truth. And I think, and this is not a statement of criticism, it's a statement of fact, I think that probably not many Christians truly live the victorious Christian life. They want to, they aspire to, but there is something that they can't overcome or won't let go. And I believe that if you could grasp the truth of this verse, it would help you to victory in your life. And so tonight, for just a few minutes before we go to the fellowship hall, I'm going to focus on verse 20. But I want to back up and I want to get a running start to it. So back up with me, if you would, to verse number 16. Galatians 2 and verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified... By the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. And not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You may have noticed that the word justified is used three times in verse number 16. So it's not hard to understand that the subject is justification. And it will be for several verses. And it's not justified by what we do. We are not justified by obeying the law. We are justified because we believed in Jesus Christ. And what he did secures our justification. Now, now we we know that. When I put my faith in Jesus Christ on September the 27th, 1976, the Father judicially declared me justified. It is a legal declaration. Go pull the record up in heaven and you will see, you will see that there is no sin on my account. The record says that the charges have been dismissed against me for lack of evidence. I have been justified. I am justified because God says that I am, but that brings up a contradiction. That contradiction is in verse number 17. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin, God forbid. The contradiction is that we don't always look justified. That's the contradiction. When the world looks at us, we are not always good advertisement for the change that Christ has wrought in us when he saved us. They can't see our justification because that's a legal declaration. So they have to judge by what they do see and it doesn't always look so good. Somebody with me there? And, And so God has declared people to be righteous that don't always live very righteously. So what do we do with that? When justified people don't live justified lives, does that mean that Jesus is the minister of sin? Does that mean that Jesus gave us the license to sin? Has he made it possible for us to sin without impunity because we're justified? Well, Paul answers that question. God forbid. Did you know there are some things that God forbids? There is. It simply means that God says don't do that. He forbids us to live in sin. Why? 
He wants the world to see his righteousness in us, so don't sin. A good reason, a good reason for righteous people to live righteously is so that the world doesn't get the wrong idea about Jesus Christ. He says in verse number 18, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. When you got saved, God destroyed some things in your life. He destroyed that. He tore down that which was against us. Romans 6 and verse number 8 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So something has been destroyed. So why would you go back and build again that which has been destroyed. I've never met a man who spent months and months in building a house and immediately turned right around and started tearing it down. We, we would say that that would make absolutely no sense. So Christ destroyed the power over our lives. So why would you go back and build it back up again? That's what he said in verse number 18. If you have an addiction, if you live in fear or lust or whatever it might be, if you keep sinning, you are allowing something to build up in your life that God has tore down. So the great contradiction is that righteous people don't always live like righteous people. So he says in verse number 19, for I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Now I'm gonna come back to that verse here in just a minute, but here's what he's saying. The law cannot judge a dead man. The law can't put a dead man on trial. There's nothing that the law can do to a dead man because he's already dead. That's what he's saying. I, through the law, am dead to the law. The Bible says that the old man is crucified with Christ, so law can't put me under condemnation because I'm already dead. But my death through Christ actually makes it so that I can live. He says, for I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Well, I couldn't do that before I got saved. I couldn't live unto God before I got saved. God didn't save you just to keep you out of hell. God saved you so that you could live. And every spiritual problem that you and I have is when we live for ourselves and not unto God. Now, with that in mind, we come to verse number 20, this great statement. And in this statement, there are three paradoxes that I want to see if we can understand tonight. And the first one is there is a paradox of death. Look at verse number 20. I am crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live. If you are crucified, then you ought to be dead. But Paul says, I was crucified, I am crucified, but I am living. And to add to the complexity, Paul actually was dead before he got saved. Ephesians 2 and verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead, it trespasses the sins. Just a few verses down, even when we were dead, hath he quickened us together by grace, 
are ye saved? So Paul was dead in sin, but then he was crucified with Christ and only then did he truly begin to live. Now, now, now just stay with me, all right? We're, we're gonna walk through this. So, so, so how was Paul crucified with Christ? Well, some people think that that means that Paul crucified himself. Some sort of self-denial kind of thing and crucifying his desires and his flesh in a spiritual sense. That's not what Paul had in mind. Again, back at verse number 19. For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Dead to the law, dead according to the law. Dead in a legal sense, dead as far as the law is concerned. As far as the law is concerned, I am dead. And having been put to death, and thereby I am beyond the reach of the law or the condemnation of the law. If a man is dead, the law can't touch him. Can't condemn him because he is dead. So Paul says he is dead. The ultimate penalty of sin, uh, of death, has been paid on his behalf so the law cannot condemn him anymore. Now we ought to stop right there and shout for about two minutes right there, all right? As a black preacher would say, we ought to have a praise break right there for about 30 seconds, huh? The law demands perfect obedience and the law passes the penalty of death upon all who violate the law. But as far as the law is concerned, he is dead. He has been legally put to death and the law is satisfied in his case. Now the doctrine that he's talking about is the doctrine of justification. The other night I, I touched upon that doctrine in something that I preached here and, and it is the legal aspect of salvation. So Paul is dead to the law. He's dead according to the law. He is justified. So he's not under the condemnation of the law. And in verse 20, he's going to explain how he is dead to the law. Are you ready for this? I am crucified with Christ. Now he wasn't literally there at the crucifixion. I don't even think he was there as a bystander. So he's not saying that I was hanging there on one of those crosses next to him. There is something much more profound. He is saying that he is crucified with Christ by his identification with Christ. You'll notice the last statement in verse number 20 and we'll end up with it. Who loved me and gave himself for me. That last phrase actually explains the first phrase. Christ died not just for me, but he died as my substitute. He died in my place. His death is for me. It is in my place. It is on my behalf. And his death is counted to me legally. Christ stood in my place and stood not only for me, he stood, he stood in my stead. He stood before the judgment of God and he bore the penalty of death to satisfy the law instead of me having to pay that penalty. Legally, he bore the penalty of my sin and in the eyes of the law, it's as if I was hanging on that cross. So in the legal sense, I am as good as dead and I paid the penalty because his death is counted for my death. We call that the substitutionary death of Christ. Right. Crucified with Christ. Now, now that's, that's, a, that's a deep truth. That in Christ, what he experienced is counted for my experience. 
We saw this several months ago. We looked at Romans chapter 7. We looked at that passage. In Romans chapter 7, we, we read that we are in Adam so that when Adam fell, we all fell. Uh, the death that fell upon Adam, upon all because we are in Adam. He is our representative and we share in the fall by, being, by, by virtue of being in Adam. I wasn't in the garden. I didn't eat the forbidden fruit. But in Adam, we all sin. We, we looked at that. So it is in Christ. When you trust Christ, we are placed in Christ and we are united to Christ that whatever happened to him is as if it happened to us. So by virtue, by virtue of me being placed on the cross when I got saved, his death counted for my death. His resurrection counted for my resurrection. His ascension at the right hand is counted for my, for my ascension. So you got any Bible for that? I think I do. Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter number 6. We're in deep waters tonight, all right? Look at Romans chapter 6 and look at verse number 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death. Now let me stop right here and just tell you that the baptism here is not water baptism. There is not a drop of water in Romans chapter 6. How do you know that? Because Romans 6 says that you were baptized into Jesus Christ. That didn't happen when you went to that baptismal pool. That happened when you got saved. So he's saying we have been immersed in Christ. We've been placed into Christ. And from the perspective of God the Father, when Christ was placed on that cross, I was placed on that cross. Christ was buried, I was buried. Where Christ was on the dead, I was on the dead. No, you're not. That so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 here. And Ephesians 2 and verse number 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved. Now watch verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's not future. That's right now. That is something that has already transpired Already in heavenly places, they used to sing the old song, I'm already over on the other side waiting on my body to be. He says right now, seated in heavenly places. How is that? In Christ. Come back to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2 and verse number 11. And then also you're circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye were risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. It sounds like that when Christ was placed in that grave, it's as if I was placed in that grave and that being buried and, 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 and that and when, when he rose again in a new body, it's as if I was raised to walk in newness of life. He says in chapter three and verse three, for ye are dead. 
And your life is hid with Christ in God. Do you realize that you're a dead man? You have died spiritually to all that you did, all that you were, all your sinful, selfish, self-righteous you that has all been crucified on the cross and buried in a grave. And the old man is ancient history because we are new creatures. Amen. There was an old Southern Baptist preacher years ago named R.G. Lee. R.G. Lee preached a sermon, payday someday, probably preached it thousands of times and God greatly used him. Pastored a, a large Southern Baptist church in Memphis, Tennessee, Bellevue Baptist Church. He was a great preacher. And one day R.G. Lee led a tour group to the Holy Land for the first time. He'd never been there. And so they had a tour guide taking them to different places. And he took them to Calvary, took them to Golgotha. And they had the tour group there and and the tour guide, before he did his little spiel, he said, has anybody, has anybody ever been here before? And R.G. Lee raised his hand. And the tour guide also said, said sir, I, I, I thought that you said you had never been to the Holy Land. He said, oh, I haven't, but I have been here. I, I, I have been here before. He said, I was in Christ. He said, 2,000 years ago when he died, I was in Christ. I was placed in Christ. Uh, Paul's looking back at the cross and he says that by my union with Christ, I participated in the crucifixion and the resurrection. And because of that, I am dead to the law, but I am alive unto God. So here's the paradox. I am crucified, yet I live. Now, now, now come back to my verse here for just a minute. We're, we're going to go have cookies here in a minute. But, but I, there, there's another sense in, in which, which you can read this because it helps me understand what Paul is saying by considering what Paul did not say. And, and to the young preachers, we don't prove anything by what the Bible doesn't say. All right? That, that we, we don't do that. One of the rules of hermeneutics is just because the Bible is silent, doesn't speak on the subject, doesn't give us a blank page to inject all of our own opinions. All right? But we can consider, we can consider what he doesn't say to give us an understanding of what he does say. Now look at verse 20. He does not say I was crucified with Christ because he wasn't literally there. He says I am crucified with Christ. He is bringing it into the present. Not just a past experience, but a present reality. It is not just that his salvation was an event that happened in the past somewhere. It was, but the death of the old man is still in effect. And I want, I want to say, I want to say in some way, he considered himself still on the cross. I'm not sure if that carries right or right, so, so we'll take that away from the recording. So I'll just say that he considered himself to still be crucified. It wasn't a past event. It was an everyday reality. Look, look down here in Galatians 6. Galatians 6 and, and, and Galatians 6. Um, but God forbid, but God forbid. Verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. I am crucified. I am Dead to the world. Dead to the world. So, several years ago, I had to, have a, um, had to have a root canal. I had to have a couple of crowns put in. I despise a dentist. I despise him. 
And when I went to the dentist, the first thing that he did is he filled my mouth with shots and numbed everything around and deadened everything so that I couldn't feel anything. And I'm glad that he did that. Nerves only hurt when they are alive. But when the nerves are deadened, then they don't hurt. So, so when, the dentist, when the dentist works on you, the first thing he does is he deadens the nerves. Deadens the nerves. And there are some people that claim to be crucified with Christ, but in reality, they are so alive to the world. They're so excited by the lust of their flesh because they're not living a crucified life. You're so susceptible to the world because you have never died to the world. You ever heard somebody say that person's dead to me? I've said that about people. I'm looking around to see if I said about any of y'all. I don't think so. <laughs> that person is dead to me. Now, I don't say that in animosity. I don't say that in hatred or anything. But I simply don't care. Are, are, you, are you with me? Right. Huh? Criticize me, compliment me. It doesn't matter. Your opinions, your thoughts, you are dead. It simply means that you are nothing to me. I don't pray for your blessing. I don't pray for your cursing. You just, you're just dead to me. Dead people can't offend you. Dead people can't hurt you. Dead people can't bother you or get you upset. And most Christians don't know anything of the crucified life. You, you, you have a dead man hanging around your neck and you're catering to the dead man. And you can't live a victorious Christian life because you won't die daily. You've never crucified those sinful desires. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. There's a second paradox here. He says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now we're going to go just a little bit deeper. Crucified. But living, living, but it's Christ living in me. It is no longer the old Paul in Paul. It is the resurrected Christ that has taken up residence. There is a new residence that is on the throne of Paul's life. Paul is not only a new person, but there's a new person that's living in him. It's not Christ that is merely close to you or sitting next to you, but Christ on the Eden side at the deepest level of our being. You can't get any more deeper. You can't get any more intimate than that. And by the way, that's the only way that you'll ever have the mind of Christ. It's the only way where his priorities will be your priorities. It's the only way where his passions are your passions. If Christ is living in you, then you love what Christ loves and you hate what Christ hates. So, so follow the paradox. Crucified yet alive. Alive but it's not my life. Christ is my justification. But he's also the source of spiritual life. Just as he died on a cross. And was counted as if I died. When he rose from the grave. In a new body. It was, I was resurrected in the newness of life. And I am alive from the dead. Because my substitute is alive. Now, again, it helps me to understand what Paul is not saying. 
He did not say that Christ liveth beside me. That's not what he said. Now the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. And we understand that the Holy Spirit is somebody who, or a comforter is somebody that comes along to help you. We know the verse in John 14, even the spirit of truth when the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So there is a truth that the comforter is with us, but that's not what Paul said here. And he does not say that Christ lives through me. Now what do I mean? He's not the vicar of Christ. He's not the personification of Christ. He wasn't a little Jesus like the charismatics preach. Certainly say that Christ lives through me. Well, what does he say? He says Christ lives in me. Now, now here, here is the problem. We understand the spiritual by comparing it to the physical. But there is no physical to compare this to. Because John 14 and verse 20 says, At that day ye shall know that I am my Father, ye in me, and I in you. Ye in me, and I in you. Our union with Christ is so complete that I'm in him and he's in me. I've lost you, haven't I? That's what it says. That we don't have nothing to compare that to. Because you can't put something into something that is the something that you're trying to put it into. Yeah. I mean, how can a thing... How can a thing be in something if the something is in the thing that you're trying? How, how can you do that? Do, do you understand? We talk about the Trinity and we talk about an egg or an orange and we try to find something to relate it to. Well, what are you going to relate this to? How can a thing be in the thing that, 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 is, that, is, that is in the thing? How, how can I be in you and you in me? Theologians call it the mystical union with Christ. I don't necessarily like the term, but I don't have a better term. But it is, it is a mystery that we've never completely grasped. Yeah. So because I am dead in Christ, I've been made alive unto God, but it's not my life. It is the life of Christ living in me. A resurrection has taken place and I have been made a partaker of the divine nature. It is not just a reformation. It is a transformation. He didn't take the old man and turn him and make him good. He created a brand new creature. And I'm living it because it's my life that I'm living and it would be a disaster if I wasn't living that, but it's the life of Christ that I am supposed to live in the flesh. I yield my body to him so that my eyes become his eyes and my ears are his ears and my lips are his lips. Oh, he says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And here's the third paradox. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He is living out the life of Christ in his mortal body, but it's not by his own power. It's not by his self-will. It's not by him... Self-discipline. Even that is by the faith of Christ. Every step along the way, he is looking to Christ. 
He is leaning on Christ. He is relying on Christ. Just like a branch abides in the vine. And depends upon that vine. To supply everything that that branch needs. In order to produce fruit. So Paul says that I rely on Christ. To supply all that I need. For this new life that I'm living in the flesh. He's working in me. He's enabling me. And he is sufficient. Now notice one little word, one little word. He says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Nearly every commentator will change that and will say, I live by faith in the Son of God. But that's not what it says. I have to have faith. But here it is the faith of Jesus that's being highlighted. Read it. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live by what Jesus believes. My faith is weak, so I will operate off of His faith. So if you say you love me, I believe that. If you say I'm justified, I'll live by that. If you say that all things will work together for my good, I'll live by what you say. And here's my motivation. Who loved me and gave himself for me. He died for me, not just for me to go to heaven. He died so that I could be freed from sin and that I could live a life pleasing to God. And you can deny yourself for somebody that loves you that much. For somebody that gives himself for you that much. I've lived in Galatians 2.20 for about a month now. I put off preaching it because it's deep waters. I understand the verse. The language is difficult for me, but the crucified life, it is so foreign to so many Christians, but it's the key to victorious living. Dead to self, dead to sin, dead to the world. You're dead to me. The victory has been won. The victory is mine. And all that I have to do is believe it by faith and begin living in that reality. And I begin by realizing my position in Christ. Belief has to be right in order for behavior to be right. I know who I am in Christ. I may not look righteous, but I have been declared righteous. I have been declared justified. I know that the power of sin has been broken over me and I can build up that which has been destroyed. But why would I want to do that? My desires have been crucified with the old man. I have new desires now. I take practical steps to feed that new man. Read the Bible, all of those practical things. But the Christ life is living the life that Christ would live if he were physically present. He lives inside of me and I live out the life he would have me to live. I live that in the flesh. And do you know why? Do you know why that is so difficult for so many people? I'll tell you why. I think there's a lot of people that's trying to live the Christ life without having the indwelt Christ. If you're not saved, this is not only impossible for you, it's not even desirable for you. 
You can clean up your morality. You can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and turn over a new leaf. You can clean up your life. But that's not the power of Christ in you. But if you are saved, you may cater to the flesh. But your heart is to live the crucified life. You desire for that to be your testimony. The paradoxes of Galatians 2 and verse 20. Do you live a crucified life? I think very few Christians do. I'm not, I'm not trying to rebuke anybody. I'm, I'm putting my, put myself right there with you. I think very few Christians do. But he's provided everything that we need to live the life that he would have us to live.